0: Something that I've been asked a lot is the co-op model. Would we be open to parceling out and giving people that sense of equity and ownership? I did look into this, and what I found is that there's a lot of drama.
1: Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 142 with Melissa and John Block. This week, I'm speaking with Melissa and John Block, the sister-brother team behind San Diego's first-ever tiny house village called Tiny House Block. In this interview, Melissa and John will share the journey that they took to go from a couple of backyard tiny homes to a dedicated piece of land with 25 tiny houses available for rent. Surprisingly, the majority of their homes are rented long-term, and they've had to figure out how to manage a community, including difficult tenants, disputes between neighbors, and more. I hope you stick around for this really fascinating conversation. But before we get started, do you have questions that you'd like me to answer live on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast? Well, I've opened a new way for you to submit them. You can now record a question to be answered on the show. To submit your question, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask and hit the appropriate button. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash ask, where you can record a question for me to answer on the show. I love hearing from listeners, and I can't wait to answer your tiny house questions. Whether it's building, living, or anything related to the tiny house lifestyle, everything is fair game. Head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask and hit record to submit your question today. Right, I am here with the sister and brother team, Melissa and John Block. Melissa and John have created San Diego's first ever tiny house village called Tiny House Block. Their flagship location opened January 2019 at their three and a half acre Mount Laguna property and currently has 25 tiny houses with each house uniquely designed and themed ranging from 180 to 500 square feet the houses are comprised of short-term rentals, long-term rentals, and tiny house owners parking their homes. As a resort village for nature lovers and creative thinkers with a French-influenced on-site restaurant, Tiny House Block has been featured on ABC News San Diego as well as the San Diego Reader. Melissa and John Block, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. Great to be here.
1: Yeah, it's great, great to have you both. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious. I always like to ask, um, you know, how did you get this idea to do a, a tiny house village?
2: Um, well, I like to start. And so I think like most people, their first experience, with the tiny house was on HGTV and tiny house nation type shows. And I just thought it was the cutest thing ever. And um, I fortunately have a lot of land and live in a rural area. And I thought, you know, why not? Let me try to find one and rent it out. I was already in the property management business familiar with rentals. And I saw one for sale on Craigslist, and it was reasonably priced for what it was. And it happened to be on Tiny House Hunters on one episode. So I saw it. I loved it. I brought it over to my property, set it up, and it was just history from there. Um, Everyone loved it. The response was overwhelming. Everyone wanted to live in it. And from there, um, I got a few more. And then I unfortunately ran into a zoning issue (laughs) and had to then find a way to relocate them. And so we spoke with one of our agents, real estate agents, and fortunately, he was connected with someone that was selling an RV park that was in very bad shape. And I went up and visited it, and I was just right away knew that it was going to be the perfect spot to have the first village. It was up in the mountains, had pine trees everywhere. I had never even been to the area before. I didn't even know it existed really in San Diego. It was one of the few places I get snow, And so I just totally had the vision for how I could see it just with all tiny houses there. And and that's how it started.
1: (laughs) Wow. So you really kind of bootstrapped this Mm -hmm. with one (laughs) tiny house and then on to the next and the next.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It started, I had my own makeshift village with about five houses. And that was kind of like, the prototype to see do people want to live among other tiny house people is just what kind of inspired me was the Martha's Vineyard Cottages in Massachusetts and they're not on wheels but they are really small houses with a unique look to the outside all different personality and I just was in love with the idea and just how that would be really popular in San Diego people wanting to live in a community of adorable little houses, each with their own look and vibe and live among other people with tiny houses. And so that's, I brought that idea to San Diego.
1: <laughs> so the, the zoning issue that you ran into, I'm guessing it was just, you had too many dwellings on, on one parcel?
2: Um, yes, at the time, um, now you're, it's legal to have one. Back when I started, um, with the one on my properties, 2017, You we weren't allowed any at all. And so and so I was really pushing it with five. <laughs> and so I was. Usually it's a neighbor based complaint system where you're fine, you can go under the radar until someone you know, notices it and calls the county and complains. And I was fine with that. It was my own mistake was that we had solar installed at the property and one of the permitting people from the county saw those structures and called them out for not being there. So um, that's what made us have to move. But I mean, otherwise, I mean, the community liked it. People saw it, like the neighbors saw it, and they didn't have any issues with it. But um, so now it's legal to have one.
1: And were these were these short term rentals that you were running, or were they like long long term tenants?
2: They were on a month to month basis because I knew that you know there was possible at any moment zoning would come down. But the idea was yes for long term, that, and that these people were bummed that when they had to move and had to give notice about it when zoning said I couldn't have them
0: yeah
1: so the um I'm guessing you're now outside of the city of San Diego in this this new location
2: we're still in the county of San Diego but not in the city limits we're definitely in the they call the backcountry San Diego got it 6,000 <sighs> feet in the mountains
1: <laughs> very nice so John how did you get involved in in the project
0: Well, I intersected when Melissa had just acquired the RV park, which we could have the 25 tiny houses there because it was the same zoning as the RVs. These are homes on wheels, so these would be tiny houses on wheels. I come from a background of producing events, whether it's music and arts events or personal growth seminars. And I was really drawn to what I ultimately uh, defined as our four core values for the village minimalism. Nature, community and creativity. And as I saw it, this was a real opportunity to make a distinct difference in people's lives in ways that I could not but just doing events for one or a few days, when people actually live there and were' interacting with each other. So with the minimalism, folks having to really pare down their belongings and just get off that McMansion hamster wheel and that lust for more and really have to drill down to what really matters to them. The nature, the fact that we're surrounded by Cleveland National Forest, I just know being a nature lover myself just brings out the best in you. relieves stress, you can just tune in and become the best version of yourself. Community, I've lived in neighborhoods all my life where I didn't know my neighbors, where it was awkward to actually stop and have a conversation with them. What would it be like to have a community where you were far enough out from the city where you had to really look to each other and having community dinners and bonfires. And this has been something that's happened a lot. And then the fourth value of creativity to me, that just means a created life versus the default life. So it can be artistic expression or it can be inventing a new business. These are some of the things that we've seen happen at the village.
1: That's awesome. So you, you've seen Real community kind of flower there.
0: Yeah, it's really beautiful how people have one on their backs. One practical thing is the fact that being in 6,000 feet elevation, uh, we experience all four seasons out there. So it's like when I am living in Colorado, it's that kind of weather. So it's as of today, we are in the first week of November and it started snowing already, and it'll be on off snow until April. So in that time, people will have each other's backs because so there's only so much we can do. We don't live on site and people have a sense of ownership and it will be something like, hey, I'm going into town. There's a group text with all the residents there to you know, make the requests and they'll pick up things you know, for, for one another. I think that's really nice. I love it the, personally the most during the summertime where uh, it's a bit cooler than it would be in the rest of San Diego. So the nights in particular, we bonfires every single weekend and then uh, people will commiserate in the different tiny homes. Usually it's the 500 square foot one will be the (laughs) rallying place for obvious reasons. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really wonderful to see uh, people have become really close friends, uh, romantic couples in some cases. It's really nice.
1: So the the RV park, I've heard of this as kind of a model for being able to more easily get it through on the legal front did you have to do anything in terms of zoning or or that side of things as to to get this approved or were you just able to buy the RV park and say yep this is still an RV park they're just tiny house shaped RVs
2: yeah that was pretty much exactly it when i first got cited by zoning on the regular residential property with the five tiny houses I met with a land developer wanting to know, you know, so people could stay there. Could I convert the current land? And he basically said it was impossible with the way things was, were, the zoning, getting the permits, um, building the utilities and the infrastructure. And he said, your best bet is to find, and most economical way, is to get an RV park and have that be your tiny house, that it would be like pretty much seamless, that the zoning and permitting was already there. The spaces were all there. And so that was the way to go. We were just lucky that this one fit our needs and was within our price range because the thing is that they don't make new RV parks and mobile home parks. It's kind of what is in existence is there. And so the demand is just greater and greater for these parks. So these, we're lucky that these are in more remote areas. And so they're not as much demand to live out in the remote areas. People, you don't know, wanna live closer to the city it's an hour to downtown San Diego. But again, that is also what makes our locations attractive is the being out away from the city and the nature. And that's what we're seeing now that people, especially with um, COVID, they don't want to be as close to one another in the city. And they like the idea of being more out in the open. And each tiny house, there are no shared walls with your neighbors you're each your own unit. And there's just something about that, about not being in an apartment complex that people really enjoy.
1: So, so with the tiny homes that were in your, your backyard and then Mm -hmm. moved to this, Mm -hmm. to this permanent location, um, forgive me, but I always have to ask, were they, um, you know, how did you deal with the plumbing? Were they, were they compost toilets in in these houses or were they somehow hooked up?
2: Um, I had a septic system installed, so we have a plumber that works for us. And so he was familiar with building septic. And so we, put her own in because <laughs> so, I did have compost toilets before and while people are willing to use them it's not their preference a flush toilet will always be hands down <laughs> unless someone's very very eco-conscious
1: <laughs> now are there any restrictions um it being an rv park mm-hmm. on people living there you know year-round or permanently
2: um our park is grandfathered in for that. There are parks within the city limits of San Diego. I've heard from people saying that they have to, you know, drive off the lot for a day and then come back on and restart over again, and that there are limits. But our location, it being out of the city limits, and also due to the kind of the housing affordability crisis in San Diego, they've allowed the long-term usage because our rentals are kind of are definitely below the city pricing.
1: That's great. Yeah. And how how long of a drive is it like to the city from from the park?
2: Um, It's about an hour to downtown San Diego.
1: And are there people who live there who commute in or who used to commute in before COVID hit?
2: Um, Yeah. Yeah, there were quite a few that did make the drive and they felt it was worth it to do it just to be able to come back to the peace and quiet of nature in the evenings and weekends?
0: Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it was this perfect balance. So if they had to work downtown. So then to be out in nature was just such a respite for them. I think for them, it was unfathomable to have to live in one of those downtown high rises while working in the gas quarter. It'd just be too much. And those are the type of people we attract where they value nature and they want to be uh, there and being cut off for too long, that doesn't work for them. And the community aspect kicked in too, because a lot of folks did carpool with one another for these commutes.
2: Yeah, I mean, we do have a uh, lot of people. No, you go ahead. Sorry, um, that work from home though. And we had uh, Viasat, an uh, internet company, install its own system up there so people can have reliable Wi Fi. So a lot of these people are, you know, they call it digital nomads. <laughs> they want to be able to work from anywhere. And so we, we definitely have that available to them too.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it's become a really communal situation or like, you know, you're talking about the carpools and, you know, people communicating with one another. I'm curious, um, you know, I feel like people want that, but it's hard to make it actually happen. You know, they say they want to live in a community, but then, you know, there can be all kinds of drama with people disagreeing and, and <laughs> meetings and, and that kind of. So I'm curious, like, did you kind of architect this or did it just kind of happen on its own?
0: There's definitely a trial and error aspect to it, because when I was listening to you just now talk about communities that have frayed apart and uh, been drama uh, associated with it. Something that I've been asked a lot is the co-op model and people have expressed interest in becoming landowners and would we be open to parceling out and giving people that sense of equity and ownership of the land and then really having less of a, you might say, traditional landlord relationship, but we're all partners in this. And I did look into this and what I found is that there's a lot of drama that goes with that, I find that it's one of those things like communism, where it's better in theory than in practice. <laughs> and you have people who are independents to begin with and uh, want to think outside the norm, and they want those opinions to be heard. So any kind of structure you tend to put in with those people, as necessary as it might seem to put that structure, there will be some rebellion against. So we've uh, really encouraged them to come together. There's been some instances of drama. Uh, We have learned to stay out of it until it reaches a point where it's really becoming a problem. And there have been two occasions in the two years we've been doing this where we did have to ask a tenant to leave. And uh, there's definitely no regrets about that for anyone involved.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a tough position to be in. You're kind of like landlord's but your, your landlords to, to, you know, 25 different people, some of whom are living there full time and others are just, you know, in for the night or for the weekend.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, currently it's uh, about 80% of them are permanent residents. So we have four or five that are short-term rentals. Interestingly, When we first started, we were very open just to see what the demand would be. Would it favor more short-term or long-term? And at first, it was driven entirely by short-term. It was very hard to get people to want to commit. And that held true up until COVID. And then it was like some switch got turned on a lot of people. They all wanted to get out of the city and Come to our village to live. It seemed, and then just like that, we had boom waiting list. And we decided to keep a couple of them for short term rental, just because that demand is still there, and we'd like to be able to provide that. That's been really wonderful development. So, uh, when it comes to the COVID, I think this is one of the blessings we can count for ourselves.
1: Yeah, I I can just see that people are are itching to get out of the cities and and away from from the masses during this pandemic, it, it's interesting because I, I would have thought that COVID would have created a huge spike in short-term demand of like people just wanting to get away for the weekend. But I guess it, it makes sense. They want to get away for more than just the weekend.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we found that that's our preference too. Like we're pretty much exactly where we want to be right now, primarily long-term with a few short-term What we found is that the short-term folks just tend to be more uptight in terms of people. (laughs) And if, say, there's a pipes freeze or if the water is not working for some reason, just being in the mountains, things like that will happen time to time. A long-term resident will be more understanding and can wait it out a a day or two. But a short-term person, if they don't get this fixed within an hour or two, uh, they're going to leave you a pretty nasty review on airbnb and we just found that the anxiety of that was affecting our cost of living you know because these people will blow up your phone (laughs) until this thing yeah gets resolved
1: (laughs) yeah wow no it's 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 fascinating i i'm curious so it sounds like the the short-term and the long-term residents do they do they integrate do they do they hang out or is it kind of like a community of long-term residents and then you know short-termers that are kind of coming and going
0: it varies obviously i would say that oftentimes the short-term guest profile tends to be couples or families and they're there to bond with each other what we've seen so while there might be uh, a bonfire happening oftentimes they won't come out and join And certainly, there are people who are more social, so it's really up to the short-term guests how much they want to engage. And what I've noticed is that tends to be a positive experience either way. Sometimes people say, "Oh yeah, me and my sweetie had our anniversary, and it was so beautiful." And other times, like, "Yeah, we got to meet the residents there, and Aaron and Lionel are so sweet, and can't wait to come back and see them next time." So it does vary. How
1: how do you vet your potential residents? Like when someone says, "Hey, I want to live, I want to live here." or do you vet them?
0: Yeah, we have a dedicated team member, Mo, who's our rentals manager, and it's his job to field all the inquiries coming in. And we're very high touch. So he has a phone call with every single person. And part of our outline for these conversations that he does share our four values of minimalism, nature, community, and creativity. And We've learned to ask them if they are a do-it-yourself DIY type person. That's proven to be a useful question to ask if they even know what DIY stands for. (laughs) That's indicative of where they fall on that question. (laughs) And those would be the ones that we um, do well with. Uh, Mo has his own process where he'll give them instructions in terms of what to do next. All right, you're going to go to Cozy. It's our third-party site that we use for the credit and background checks. Uh, fill out the application, and if they follow all the instructions exactly that he's put upon them, then chances are this is going to be a good uh, tenant. If they only complete half of it, then if there's someone else who completes all of it, then there's no question who we're going to go with.
1: Yeah, that that kind of reminds me for some reason of like, it's like in elementary school the the teacher hands out a test that says read all the instructions for this, and when you read the instructions, it says sign your name at the bottom, don't fill in any of the questions, and just flip the paper over. But, like, half of the class doesn't <laughs> read that and just takes the test and doesn't realize that the instruction said not to.
0: I remember the vividly teacher doing that very thing, and I was one of the ones who fill out the whole test. I'm wondering how everyone else was done so quickly. So that lesson did stick with me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you alluded to, to some, you know, disagreements or, or things – that require some kind of mediation. And it sounds like you, you try to keep that within the, the community and let people figure it out themselves. But, you know, do you see yourselves as mediators or do you just try to, to stay away from that role? I'll directly speak
0: to this. Uh, there was an incident we had where is actually with one of our Tenants had an issue with one of our staff members and some of the tenants had banded against this particular staff member and uh, other tenants had invalidated these tenants saying, no, 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 they're overreacting, being Debbie dramas and all that. And I found myself, and this is interesting for me because when I would lead my personal growth seminars, it was around communication which to me is the cornerstone for any relationship working. So as I was in this role of mediation, hearing all sides, I found that it was this uh, stickiness to it, where it was kind of like America's involvement in the Vietnam war. It's like the more, the time they put in, the more time they, they had invested, they had to see the thing through and it just got messier and messier. <laughs> and, That's what this situation taught me is that, yeah, there are certain people that are inclined towards that drama. There's something about being perhaps in a more remote area where maybe there's a lack of things going on, particularly during COVID, and they'll stir things up. And I made an important decision uh, that instance where, particularly when the tenants were at it with each other, where I had to say, you all resolve it yourselves. And it was Challenge for me because I see as one of my purposes is to help people have stronger communication and have stronger relationships with each other. But People got to want that. It's a lot different when they're paying to my, come to my seminar versus they're paying to live in a tiny house and then they have some drama with someone. Are they willing to look at their own personal responsibility? In a matter, and they're willing to look at their own projections and judgments and take responsibility for those. Are they willing or able to transform their behavior and become stronger listeners going forward? Statistically, no, most people are not willing or able to do those things. So that's why we've taken more of the position that uh, you guys sort it out yourselves. If it becomes a pattern where someone is at cause for a lot of the drama, then we will all talk to them. And then, as I mentioned, in some cases, ask them to leave.
1: So I'm fascinated by the, the community aspects of this, but there are other things that I want to ask you about, too, which is the restaurant that's on site. <laughs> how, how did that come to pass? Was it a resident that wanted to do it or, or did you do you operate it? Yeah. Tell me about the restaurant.
2: The restaurant was there already when um, we purchased the RV park. And she had really good food there, but she was opening a second location in the nearby town and her heart and effort were more into that other location. So from the beginning, she was trying to sell the restaurant. And so for, you know, we, she was operating it, kept it running only open on the weekends. And then finally these new buyers came along a French couple and they were ready to breathe new life into the restaurant. And, I believe the husband, he likes to play piano. So he saw his he as his um, evening piano bar to entertain people. And so they were ready to move in and commit to the mountain life and start the restaurant. And so they took over and it's been great. They love it up there. Um, we hear all the time how the food is great. And so it's been really an asset to have that on site for the guests and long-term tenants. So conveniently to have great food right there, just a few steps away.
1: Yeah, that, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, and because it's such an anchor presence of the property, having someone who is excited to be there and not just trying to figure a way out does make a big difference just energetically. Like what the French couple, Lawrence and Eric, are bringing to the property, I think is really, really terrific. They also live on site as well. So there is a sense of uh, the community that they're also part of.
1: Nice.
2: Oh, and the chef lives in the village.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So the chef, even the chef works from home, which is not something that most chefs can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So I I in your bio, it, you know, you talk about how the houses range from from 180 to 500 square feet. Are those all houses on trailers or are the 500 square foot houses um like cabins?
2: Those are also on wheels. Um, one of them, it's like they call it a park model. And so it's kind of like the original tiny house. Right. But it's about 40 feet long. And so those are not easily movable. So to me, you know, a real tiny house is ones around, you know, 33 feet or under, and you can easily move it with your own pickup truck. But these larger ones definitely have to hire an outside mover where it's about two, 000, three thousand dollars to, um, relocate them and have them set up. So they require someone with like, um, like a big rig truck.
1: Wow. And so I guess the, the intention there is that, you know, they are going to move here one time and then that's it.
2: Yeah. Those definitely aren't ones that you would take on the road regularly. So it's kind of like, yeah, you move it and you set it up. Usually the wheels are taken off and then you put the skirting on and it's there for quite a bit while the smaller ones even though we don't move them around generally they are very easy to move and I can move around with my ram truck yeah from place yeah. to place
1: <laughs> how many um homes or how many parking spots are available for outside tiny house dwellers to to kind of bring their own tiny home
2: um we currently have nothing available um but there aren't any designated ones that are for park your own. It's just whatever is empty at the time. And we just have a builder that we were purchasing and placing our own there since mm-hmm. at first the demand of people with their own tiny houses wasn't that great. Because um the movement, you know, people are really interested in it, but no one was really pulling the trigger on wanting to own one themselves because up until recently there was no place legally to put them. And so it was only Inside these r v parks, and a lot of people didn't want to be the only tiny house in an r v park and then once we established ourselves and people realized, oh wow, it's only tiny houses up here, we got a lot more um people inquiring about bringing their own tiny from other areas, so now we have I think three is it John park your owns four yeah. and then four someone coming in next week
0: yeah and. That mid-March pandemic uh, shutdown was the demarcation point as well for folks, not just with us, obviously, just in general, it seems pulling the trigger finally and building their tiny houses. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were curious and we had lots of questions of, uh, you know, Mo had lots of conversations of, I'm thinking about building a tiny house. Is there any way you can hold a spot for me for whenever I get around to finally having one built? (laughs) The answer would be no, we can't do that because we get phone calls like this several times a week. (laughs) But let us know when you actually uh, have one built and you can commit to a day to actually park it. And it was one of those switches that got turned on during COVID where people were now calling us saying, my tiny house is going to be complete in six weeks do you have anything available? And we say, yes, you can put a deposit down. So of the 20 or so permanent residents we have, three of them are people who own their own tiny houses. And of those three, two of them use it uh, for Airbnb, Uh, not full-time, but one of them is a flight attendant, for instance. So she'll Airbnb out when she is off to work. And that's Turned out really nicely for her. Uh, We do really well with the short term. I'm using short term Airbnb to mean the same thing. So there's a certain um, cachet, I suppose, of being part of the only tiny house village, and she's been able to piggyback on that. And it's just a really nice tiny house. We don't allow just anybody to park with us. Like we want them to be as nice or nicer than our existing tiny houses.
2: Nice. Oh, we had one tenant buy their own tiny. He was renting it, and he. Decided to buy it and he left it there and he airbnb's it out.
1: That's awesome that you allow tenants to do that. I think it's, you know, part of the wonderful thing about tiny homes is is their affordability, but also, you know, at least right now how how well they can do as short term rentals. And so, you know, the fact that you allow your renters to kind of get in on that economic benefit of owning a tiny home to rent it out when they're not using it. Um, It's great.
0: Yeah, we wouldn't do that for anyone just off the street, but if someone is a tenant in good standing with us and they intend to leave it there for a while because it's a little bit of a headache just to find another tiny house to replace it with. And if uh, someone is a good tenant, then yeah, absolutely. To your point, you wanna give them that opportunity to have equity and have something they can rent out and take with them and do whatever they want with uh, eventually. So it was nice to be able to provide that. It's his first time making that kind of commitment. Yeah. He's doing very well with his procurementals.
1: Now, do you have any like pre-planned, scheduled gatherings for for residents, or is it is it just kind of spontaneously as as they decide to meet?
0: At this point, they kind of run it themselves. Uh, I would say that when we were first establishing this. I was a lot more proactive with saying, all right, Memorial Day barbecue. That was the last thing that we did. And uh, if it wasn't for COVID, we probably would have done more. But I wanted to do that because we had just gotten a deluge of new residents <laughs> shortly before that. <laughs> so come Memorial Day, because all these new people around, what we did was the, um, we had Lawrence and Eric along the restaurant on site. They catered for us. And it was a great opportunity for them to meet everyone in the community as well. Outside of that, uh, it's really up to them. I would say the year previous, uh, we did have during 2019 that summer we had bonfires every Saturday night. That was just a built-in thing, and then we let it be known to people that they could come out and hang out with us too, even if they weren't staying there.
1: Nice. Now, as a as a event producer, is there is there music? Is there a stage?
0: But we've spent all this time talking about our first property, but we actually have a second one Uh in Julian, which is the perfect transition. It's called Banner Recreation Ranch, and it's currently an RV park, meaning that it's occupied by RVs, and we are in the early phases of transitioning. And I'm not going to go into all that details because it's more than we can go into, but the idea of is to ultimately become a tiny house village. And in the meantime, this is being 62 acres, a tiny house block in Mount Laguna is only three and a half. And across the 62 acres, it really lends itself to festivals. So me personally, I don't really have that energy anymore to be putting on festivals. But others do, God bless them. So they'll come to us and they'll rent out the land. And that's really been beautiful to see. I make it a point to go to every single one and just seeing the gratitude that people have, especially during COVID to be out. And uh, these folks, uh, we put the onus on them to take responsibility. We have everyone sign waivers, they come in, but at the same time, in terms of uh, reducing or eliminating the potential spread of COVID, A lot of them will mandate COVID tests and you will be turned away if you don't have a COVID test showing negative at the door. And it's people who just get to really enjoy the music and community and the nature. And it's really, really wonderful to have those.
2: Yeah, the new location, we currently have three tiny houses. Um, There's 17 total spaces there. So we plan to slowly transition like we did in Laguna to all tiny houses. And then this meadow area Uh, where we're having these festivals it's great it's um, all these campsites there's water and electric there people bring their rvs and park and over the three days just camp out and have that sense of community and kind of you know that woodstock feeling (laughs) Um, burning man you know and just uh, feeling out in the nature in the woods and just away from the city and um, and there's bathrooms there so it's, it's just all the amenities and it's just um, that has been take, has taken off really well and gotten a lot of great feedback of being, you know, only an hour from San Diego and being this place so far away that people can go um, enjoy themselves safely.
0: And just like we're really selective. Sorry, I just want to emphasize we're really selective with the folks who host the events with us, too. As I mentioned earlier, there's a vetting conversation with the tenants who are going to live with us ongoingly. Uh, so too, with anyone who hosts an event with us and that they share our values of really, for that weekend, they're taking ownership of the land and having a sense of pride of ownership that we are going to really be the guardian of this land and make sure that everyone gets that sense of responsibility that comes in. But one thing that I think is really rare in general is that these, the fact that these events are, you would never know these folks were there come Monday because they've done such a good job cleaning up. And that's something we talk about in advance and they all have responded. Yes. That's how we do our events. It's exactly that. And that's how we know it's a good fit.
1: Nice. So I want to, um, ask also about the, um, the tiny houses that you're sourcing. Um, I think Melissa, you mentioned that you, you work with one builder now.
2: mm mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in the beginning, I was on Craigslist, Facebook, and most of them were people that uh, bought a tiny house off a builder or built it themselves, and then they were no longer uh, interested in the tiny house life, and so that was the majority of them just didn't suit their needs anymore. And then as our demand for them grew, um, we found a builder, and so she steadily makes them for us. It takes about two months to make it, and and it has it was really her design sneaks has a downstairs bedroom so a lot of these are just upper lofts so it's just nice having different styles just from at the beginning those that we got randomly and we can change up a little bit now but just for consistency and just easy we've just kind of gotten the same style (laughs) the last few times but
1: so what's the name I know you know all your tiny houses have have different names what's the name of one that is kind of this new kind of Style.
2: I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't even mean the name. Like- oh, I just mean,
1: like, I'm looking at, like, on the site, like, there's Flower Fun and Stargazer oh. and Blue Sky and Crystal Zen. I'm just curious. Like, I'm curious, what are the, like, you know, what are some of the features of this house that you've kind of settled on? Because, you know, not many people have the occasion to buy, mm-hmm. like, five, ten tiny houses and then start having them produced for for, you know for living in so I, I feel like you might have some insight about design
2: oh um yeah garden delights is one of the ones that uh, lately they're all been that similar design and okay. we find around the 24 foot to 28 feet um is the best size mm-hmm. too small you know is just not enough space and if it's too big it's you have to have another set of axles on there and then also it's you need a bigger truck to move it and more gas so, even though most people do keep it generally parked in one location for a while, the smaller size and being able to move it is more convenient. And the downstairs bedroom, like I was saying, that's been a big plus for people. So, it makes it almost like there's three bedrooms. The double lofts, that's a big plus. So, people want the main loft, and that always we have holds like a queen size bed and a smaller loft to hold a twin bed or storage space. And then the downstairs, is like a living room or second like bedroom and um the this current style does have a smaller bathroom we had a previous builder um but he stopped making him for us he was more busy with the family business but he he had a really spacious bathroom and his with a full-size tub and we got a lot of positive response from that um so I mean, kind of things you have to compromise, kind of one thing or another, <laughs> to stay within that 24, 28 foot. It's like you want a bigger bathroom or a bigger living room. You know, how big do you want your kitchen? So, uh, and that's the beauty too, when people look at their own to purchase, is they can customize it to their own lifestyle. And so right now we're just kind of going with a more broad, and what appeals to um, Airbnb more, and which is kind of fitting as many guests <laughs> as possible inside, and the bathroom and the kitchen don't have to be as large but for long-term people that's definitely something they prefer is more space in the bathroom
1: do you have a a favorite tiny house
2: um i really love our one it's uh it was costa rican themed um originally when i did it um i think there's a long-term tenant in it now but the colors is just really vibrant is inspired by my trip to costa rica so it's like a bright turquoise with orange accents and it has a double lofts and then off one of the lofts it has a little hatch to go outside to its own deck and so that's the only one that has that feature and that was one of the last ones our builder did before he decided to retire from <laughs> making tiny houses so um, uh, So
0: first off, Melissa is the one who very creatively, comes up with all the themes to the tiny <laughs> houses, and our MO is that whether it's Buda Vida, Stargazer, blue Sky, Crystal Zen, Flower Fun, Garden Delights, is that when we get a long-term tenant who usually wants it unfurnished, we'll remove the decorations and then just move it to the next tiny house. So we have So <laughs> that becomes the new mm-hmm. Garden Delight, mm-hmm. or the new blue sky okay. house. Uh, the one that Melissa's describing in particular is a big favorite for a lot of folks, for sure. The Sango Reader chose that one for their cover story. It is not on us in January of this year. And the tenants we had for about a year, Aaron and her daughter Paulina, Tiny House Giant Journey, shot a YouTube video that has now gotten three and a half million views being in that house.
2: Wow.
1: Well, I wish I could tell you that this podcast would get three and a half million listens, but it... It definitely won't, but the people who are listening are pretty dedicated to, to the tiny house lifestyle, and I know they're going to appreciate all the, all the knowledge that you've shared.
0: Well, we're minimalists ourselves, so it's not about the numbers. It's about the right connections. <laughs> all right.
1: Well, one thing that I like to ask all my guests is um, what are two or three resources that, that helped you along the way? It could be tiny house related or not. Um, it could be books or... YouTube channels or films or really whatever, kind of open-ended three things that that helped you along the way to to share with our listeners.
0: Yeah, I'll share it. Uh, it's been really great plugging into the Tiny Fest community. This was a conference or a convention rather at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. And we got lucky because they hosted in different parts of California. And this happened to be in San Diego. And it was the last weekend of February. So two weeks before the shutdown, they had 13,000 people there and Melissa and I spoke at it and just what Renee McLaughlin and Ellen Stone put on there really wonderful. And then we met other uh, industry associations uh, in particular, Thea tiny house industry association, really great stuff they're doing for anyone who works in the tiny house industry. And there was a nice networking mixer that, plug into and now there's zoom events that i hop on but i can only say great things about those folks
1: awesome
2: um i like to go on the uh, tiny house facebook groups a lot just to see what the tiny house community in general what they're looking for what amenities what houses styles they like and that i feel is a good resource and of course you know the tv shows (laughs) um, are always really inspiring with How extravagant they can get inside um, some of them and just how they make use of the space when sky's the limit on the money. (laughs) But but yeah. I I think it's just great how popular it's become. And I I think it's just only gonna get more popular from here.
1: Nice. Well, Melissa Block, John Block, thank you both for being guests on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Our pleasure.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Ethan. Come see us sometime.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much to Melissa and John Block for being guests on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links to Tiny House Block and lots of photos of some of my favorite tiny homes from their community at thetinyhouse.net slash 142. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 142. Also, don't forget to check out thetinyhouse.net slash ask where you can record a question for the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm really excited to start answering listener questions, so I hope you'll head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask, where you can record a question for the show. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash ask. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next year with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.